Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of Too Legit. Once again, this is your girl, Anna, aka Anna Mission. And I'm Kelsey Jandak. I go by KJ, aka Cage the Doer. Yes, this is a podcast for non-traditional law students with non-traditional backgrounds. Our goal of this platform is to give those who are thinking about law school or who are already in law school some tips and tricks on how to navigate the legal profession, but in a strategic way. If you've listened to our podcast in the past, you know that yours truly was a former registered nurse. And I'm a former flight attendant and still currently a serial entrepreneur. Yes. So Kelsey on today is our season finale of Too Legit. We are getting ready to graduate in a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And I am so excited. I think I'm a little bit more excited about our guests than graduating, to be honest. <laughs> um, if you've listened to our podcast at the beginning of the season, I made a prediction that we were going to have a special guest as our last episode. And at the time, I hadn't even reached out to this person. It was just me manifesting it. And I'm so <laughs> glad that the gods out there were listening to me because she is on our guest. She's our guest today. And I want to give you a brief introduction of her, even though I've been pretty much following her since before law school. Mm -hmm. But she is an award-winning host, a social justice advocate, a lawyer, a political commentator, a self-described empowerpreneur, embodies what it means to be the bringer of truth. And she has worked in every level of branch of government from municipal, state, and federal. Mm -hmm. Please help me welcome the one and only Angela Wright. <laughs> Thank you so much for that introduction, Anna. I will tell you, there are so many people um, in speaking engagements every time. Empowerment tour. Empowerment tour. Okay. That will, okay. Trip, that will trip people. It'll get you every time. Um, but it is, it's something that inspired me and um, something that I strive to do is empowering others, particularly people of color. So it is my pleasure to be with you and Kelsey today. And Thank I'm uh, I'm glad that the you said the gods. I'm glad that Instagram works. And every now and then I go to the general <laughs> box of DMs. Right. <laughs> so it's my, oh my, my, my privilege and honor to be with you all today. And congratulations on upcoming graduation and early Thank congratulations you. on passing the bar. We're going to name it and claim it today. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, like I was telling uh, KJ, like we've always wanted you to be on our podcast. Um, You've been number one since yes, day one. Day one. Um, <laughs> before I even came to law school, um, just a little tidbit. Um, I was searching schools and I knew I wanted to go to school in Seattle because I just love this area. And then um, I was looking up notable people who went to SU Law. Then all of a sudden I see Angela Ryan. I'm like, oh, wow. She went to the school. I definitely can go to the school. <laughs> so I just want to thank you for that, for just being, like you said, an empowerment tour. Entrepreneur, but empowerment focus. So empowerment tour. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. And so many levels and everything that you do and empowering people of color um, to use their voice and be exactly who we are in our, in our place in this world. And so, and yeah, that's, that's today with us. Exactly. And that's exactly. a good segue into our topic that we want to talk about today, which is finding your voice post-law school. Um, mm-hmm. We're getting ready to graduate, uh, like we said, in a couple of days. And, you know, just, it's just, it can be a little daunting because, you know, we've been in this space for the past three years. And so since you have went to our law school, just wanted to pick your brain and see, you know, how you found your voice and how you're using it right now. Mm -hmm. And how we can do the same, especially since we're in a shift to a post-pandemic world. Mm -hmm. You know, now we're a lot more focused on 
um, how we can maximize our potential and really our output to help change and like facilitate better growth practices everywhere, especially with women and people of color. So we would love to hear what you say about all those things. Okay. Yeah, well, again, thank you all so much for having me. I would say to you first that I did not know that I was on a notable uh, list of past uh, attendees of SU Law. I wonder if that means that they will give me like a retroactive scholarship and pay off <laughs> my student loan balance. Right. Uh, um, I, feel like, I, feel like, I feel like that's earned some things. You know, law school for me was um, such an empowering, speaking of that word again, experience. And it wasn't because, you know, everybody in the administration was super understanding and super helpful to people of color. Um, but what it really was is an opportunity. There was an opportunity for me to find my voice. And I think there were a number of things that um, helped with that. I think the first thing was my tribe, right? Like the people that I was in school with at the time, in particularly Sierra Jimenez and um, Lorena Gonzalez, who of course just um, ran for mayor and ran a hell of a campaign in Seattle. Um, they were like my besties in law school and um, we were close, we studied together. Um, I know there were times more often than not where they were like, what are you doing? Like, you know, I was the person that I, I procrastinated and I, you know, would wait till the last minute and then like around finals, I'm like, gotta get these outlines together, you know, <laughs> get it done. My first year in law school, I struggled so much with legal writing, wanting to get it. But I was just like, there was, there was no real creativity in it. It was like, you know, one plus one equals two. Every time, every every paragraph, every memo, even in appeal appellate court writing for uh, uh, legal writing too, it was like I'm never gonna be writing an appeal. This is so boring. I'm never gonna do this. <laughs> and um, I remember like a moment in um, shout out to Mimi Samuels too. By the way, I don't know if she's still yeah, there. I had her. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. So she, she was so patient because I was like, this makes no sense. Like, why would we be writing this same thing over and over and over again? Mm -hmm. But I so appreciate her because mm -hmm. it taught me like how you have to communicate with people. You have to if you manage people, you have to communicate in that way. It's clear. Right. It's detailed. It's precise, and it is grammatically correct. Um, <laughs> and I am so grateful for that training because it helped me on Capitol Hill. It, it helps me now, you know, running a business. And I think over time I've gotten much better, but I told everyone I didn't learn how to write until I got to law school. And, mm -hmm. and I would say, especially for young people coming up now, mm -hmm. writing is a critical piece in finding your voice. If you can run mm -hmm. your mouth, but you can't put it on paper or you can't put it in an email or you can't write it in an article. If you like, it doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't matter. That is a part of finding your voice. You need to be able to articulate yourself verbally and in writing. And right. so I'm grateful for those lessons. And that's again, a part of finding my voice. I think the second thing that happened was um, there was a moment I'll never forget. And I haven't told this story publicly. I'm putting it in my book, but I'm going to break it here first. Yeah. Um, there was a moment when um, 
we were pre- preparing for something called the Pacific Northwest ah, something fellowship. It was a legal fellowship for people of color. Mm-hmm. And my first year, I think first years only could apply for this, for this fellowship. Mm-hmm. And I applied for it. My grades were okay, you know, but I applied for it like with the full confidence that I, that I would get the role. And here's what I did. That's no different from what the white boys do. And I'm saying it this way for a reason, mm-hmm. because we're not allowed to do the same things they do without judgment. So let me just say oh. that. Mm-hmm. But shout out to Reginald F. Lewis, who said, why should white guys have all the fun? There's a book. Y'all should read it if you have. But I hadn't read it yet. But the thing that happened with this particular fellowship is I was like, OK, I know I'm not in the best position. I know that my I think we had to write essays. I felt like my essay was strong. I felt like I could learn a lot from going to a firm over the summer. Not really sure if I wanted to be you know, a, a law firm lawyer or not, mm-hmm. but I wanted to try And so we looked at the um, selection committee and I was like, oh, um, I know. I won't say who it is, but I know someone on this selection committee. This person also knows my dad. So I'm going to tell my dad. um, Shout out to Papa Rye, Eddie Rye Jr. I'm going (laughs) to tell my dad um, who has great standing in the community, Mm -hmm. um, has opened a ton of doors for so many people in this community, not just for me, to tell this person that his daughter is applying for this fellowship. Why not? It's the one point, it's the one point of privilege (laughs) that I have in this moment. So I was like, just let them know that I'm applying and, you know, they don't have to do anything special, but just let them know. Again, same things that the white guys do all the time. Just how kids of kids of kids get into the same firm over and over again, or how they get into Harvard or how they get into Princeton or Yale. Mm -hmm. And so I made the mistake of telling one of my friends that I did that. Mm. And my friend said back to me, oh, so you're going to get it because your dad knows the person, not because you're qualified. And I was so offended because I was like, no, I'm working all of my angles, right? Right. The same way that I talked to Carol Cochran, who was over at Missions at the time about going to law school in the same way that I sat down with Dean Knight, who was the dean at the UW Law School at the time, but that, by the way, I did not get into, even though I went there for undergrad. Um, it was the same thing. And I just believe that our steps will be divinely ordered. But in that moment, I decided that I was, I was no longer going to rest on the laurels of and bask in the comfort of being Eddie Rye's daughter I was going to make sure that at some point in the near future, folks started saying that's Angela Rye's dad. Because mm. I, w- I so resented it. I think that I wish that, you know, that I could do it different, that I like, just like so many other people who have a little bit of privilege and exercise it and hopefully exercise it by opening doors for other folks who don't have that privilege. I think I do that. I know my dad does. Right. Um, I wish that I wouldn't have been ashamed of that in that moment. And I would have just appreciated. I did get the fellowship. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, and? <laughs> and I still got out of place at the firm, which, you know, brings me to the to the next point, which is the other thing that had to happen was um, and I'm so grateful for it. The National Black Law Students Association. I was active uh-huh. my first year uh, vice president of the chapter 
my second year, I was a, a what do we call them? Sub, sub-regional director? Sub-regional director, yeah. Yeah, I was a sub-regional. You are? I was the chief of staff. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So I was sub-regional, Northwest sub-regional director for the Western region. In my third year, I was Western region director. Wow. And it was a game changer because I never thought I would leave Seattle. I always said, there's a brain drain. I'm never going to leave. I'm going to stay here. Um, Black minds need to stay and shape the community. I still think that's true, um, which is now why I split my time and go back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember feeling like, oh, I can go anywhere because there is a community about us that's bigger than Seattle, that's bigger than Washington State. And we're mm-hmm. all trying to figure this out together. Right. So that helped me to find my voice so much so that I thought that fresh out of law school, I should be applying for jobs that are at the vice president level of companies in government relations with no experience. But I was so confident in who I've become as a young lawyer, as an advocate, you know, as someone who was fighting for 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 the rights of others. And part of that, I guess there is a fourth pillar because I definitely won't leave her out. My fall semester of my last year, I had an internship with Congresswoman Waters that completely changed the game for me and how I saw politics. Because my dad, I grew up with him always fighting elected officials, regardless of what side of the aisle they came on. Like, my dad, no matter what, I was like, I don't like any of these folks because they're always against my dad. Like, he's always (laughs) having to push you to do the right thing whether you're a Democrat, Republican, or somewhere in between. And every now and then he had a friend like Norm Rice, um, a former mayor, was a friend of his, but they still would be at odds every now and then. Uh, My own cousin, um, Larry Gossett, every now and then he would be at odds with with Larry, um, who's married to my mom's first cousin. But overall... Um, his friends were his friends. Mike Lowry was a friend of his, but they still would be, there still would be tension. So I was like, like so many other young people at the time, I hate politics. I'm staying away from it. Right. But what I learned from Congresswoman Waters, from her team, from her office is that there is a way to meld and there must be a way that we engaged in politics and in our own, um, for our own engagement's sake. Mm-hmm. So that we understand that they are there to serve us. And she is, there's nobody that does it like her. She is absolutely an advocate for the community. And she absolutely makes the political process work for people of color. She will not rest until that's what happens. She's doing it now as the chair of the financial services committee. She does it um, all up and down and through the streets in her district in LA. And she does it in DC so much. So we did, um, a YouTube show recently and we asked, uh, um, one of the people we have, it's called, do you know your black facts, Maine? And on this show, uh, we (laughs) asked if the guy knows, um, who Congresswoman Waters is. He was like, yeah, it's like, where does she work? He was like, in Watts, (laughs) right? It's like, but it's true. And I was like, that's what you want to be known for. So it's right. funny, but it's also like, I'm so glad that his reference point for my mentor is that she's on the streets and working in the streets in Watts. She's on the streets, working in the streets in Compton. She's on the streets, working in the streets and all through South LA. And he's not like, oh, it's that woman that I see on TV in DC. Like, that's exactly what you want. So those are the, the ways that I found my voice and it would took a village to help me. And I'm so glad for all of them. Grateful for all of them. Wow. That's amazing. Awesome. Can you uh, describe your current role now and how you use your voice now in a non-traditional way? Yeah, I think um, 
so now I have a political strategy and um, social justice, social equity firm called Impact Strategies. Mm-hmm. Um, we represent clients and helping them get their message across and heard in DC and with civil rights organizations, um, helping to create strategic partnerships and alliances that really matter and make a difference. One thing that I think um, why that I know I'm particularly proud of is on the other side of the murder of George Floyd. Um, we helped PayPal, which is one of our clients, mm-hmm. um, develop a partnership with two HBCUs. Um, one is wow. uh, Wiley College and one is Dillard University um, to help uh, unpack financial wealth and health in the Black community. And so uh, professors from each of those institutions came together to write a really incredible paper on that. And that was something that we spearheaded. Um, so that's one way I think it's um, less traditional, but important nonetheless. Very. Um, in addition to that, um, before joining ESPN, which is where I am now, yes. um, at least part-time. Congratulations. Congratulations. That's amazing. I have a it's full-time job. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where we're focusing on the intersection of sports, race, politics, and culture, mm-hmm. of course, and social justice. Mm-hmm. Um, we're doing packages and interviews with people um, in the sports field to talk about some of the most pressing issues of our time. Right. Um, and before that, of course, I was at CNN and I'm doing commentary, but now I'm really enjoying the role at ESP, ESPN because it's allowing me to um, shape the content, how I would like to shape it right. and, um, have a ton of support there. So it's been, it's been really good and I'm looking forward to growing with them. And then, um, I guess, can you describe, just back up a little bit, describe your first day out of law school, like how you remember how you felt like graduating and how you, I mean, just pretty much navigating how you're going to move. Yeah. Um, I think, I was like, oh, I can't believe this happened. Like, this is good. This is a long time coming. I said I wanted to be a lawyer since I was six. The kind of law that I said I wanted to practice changed dramatically all throughout time. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I felt really excited because I knew that I was going to be going to D.C. Um, I had initially planned earlier in my third year to work with the Cochran firm. I had an offer to work at the um, at Johnny Cochran's firm. I wanted. I was saying forever that I wanted to be the female Johnny wow. Cochran, mm-hmm. and um, had a mentor <laughs> at the firm, Sean Chapman Holly. Shout out to Sean, who's still my, like a big sister to me today, um, and was thrilled to be able, <clears throat> excuse me, to be able to work with her and others at the firm, because when I went into interview with them. They had this mentality about them that I don't think is um, unique to our community, but it's unique to lawyers. And their their practice was um, instead of saying attorney at law on their business card, it says counselor at law. And what they said to me um, was that they had taken the mentality that when they go in to advocate for to solve for, to pursue justice for um, any members of our community who are generally the folks who called on the Cochran firm, they were providing holistic support to these families, to these communities. 
And mm-hmm. so even though they're not licensed therapists, there are a gazillion things you have to do as a lawyer. And that advocacy does not begin in the courtroom, right? There are so many other ways of making sure families' basic needs are taken care of. You look at someone like Ben Crump, who has stepped right in the shoes of a Johnny Cocker and so many other amazing lawyers um, who do that. And we really do take it upon us to say, I'm going to be a counselor at law. That's exactly what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And so- I was thrilled about going to work for him. But in my second semester, third year, Johnny Cochran died. And I was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do now? Like, I I thought that the Cochran firm was going to fall apart. I did not. I just was I I didn't know. And I was afraid. Um, And I didn't want to call Sean about it because I was like, I can't imagine how she feels. So I told Congresswoman Waters, who. I will say shamefully, I knew that she was friends with him and then selfishly still right before I was about to introduce her at a Nabalsa, actually at the Nabalsa convention. Oh. I was like, Johnny Cochran died. What am I going to do now? <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, um, she was like, I know, uh, but I've been telling you to go to D.C. You need to be working on the Hill. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I guess I'm going to D.C., you know. So that was how that happened. And I and I knew graduating from law school that I was going to be going to D.C. I knew I didn't want to go work on the Hill. The Republicans were in charge. I didn't really see like that didn't seem fun to me. So I was like, I'll go lobby first and then go to the Hill. Mm -hmm. So I did that. I worked for an organization called NAFIO, the National Association for Equal Opportunity in Higher Education, Um, and didn't know that studying for the bar. So I was applying to jobs while studying for the bar. I do not recommend if you can avoid, um, because it was a distraction and I did not pass, (laughs) um, the first time. And so then as I was looking for jobs, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go to DC for two weeks while I'm studying for the Maryland bar, take that bar. And then I'm going to be interviewing with people. And it was crazy because I it, I actually submitted an application for Nafio for a vice president <laughs> of government affairs. Um, but I ended up seeing the president of Nafio walking down the street. Like, oh. and I was like, Leslie Baskerville, I, I applied for a job, you know, <laughs> We're talking on the corner. She was like, come into my office tomorrow and let's talk about what you can do. I think you might be too junior for this vice president role, but let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up going to sit with her and got hired like from that interview. Um, and she was like, we'll make you a coordinator of legislative affairs. And my first day working there, my job was to go and do a press conference on behalf of the organization um, right out right after Katrina happened to mm. speak up for these schools. So I was baptized by fire. And when I tell you, I thank God for that experience because it prepared me for the Congressional Black Caucus where, you know, we didn't have a lot of resources to do things, but I learned how to do every single role at NAFIO. Um, so, Yeah. It was, I knew that I was excited. I just didn't know where I was going on the other side of law school graduation, but I knew it was somewhere. I knew it was somewhere. It's amazing. Just going off of that, Angela, what, what would you say, especially because graduation is coming up tomorrow and the next day, mm-hmm. is your, your, your best takeaway advice to soak in our heads to, we can share with our graduating class? You know, people say um, failure is not an option. Mm-hmm. 
And I would say that's one of the biggest lies ever told. You are going to fail. And what matters is how you handle that failure. It matters if you can um, bounce back, right? If your resilience is intact or if you can find a way to get your resilience intact and bounce back and know that uh, not only is failure an option, because it is, but also success is an option and joy is an option. And the, the world really is yours. Like whatever you want to do, you can do. You're doing a podcast right now while also being in law school while also being a serial entrepreneur, you say. Mm-hmm. So it is whatever you want to do. You decide what you want to do, how you want to move, mm-hmm. um, what your legacy will be mm-hmm. and how you live in the present and how you choose to live in the present. And the ch- decisions you make today are the very things that dictate what your legacy will become. And so I try now, especially, um, I think so many of us were shaken to our core by the pandemic, right? You have to live every day for what it is. Tomorrow Mm. is not promised. So how do you do the very best you can do with today? Right. I love that. You know, the mic right there. (laughs) (laughs) This (laughs) is... Yeah, And it takes some of the pressure off, you know, like even with the bar, you know, you, there are people who are brilliant, who fail the bar. There are people who procrastinate, who fail the bar. There are people who get distracted easily, who fail the bar. And yet you'll still pass and yet you'll still be okay. And yet it doesn't define you. It's a test, Mm -hmm. right? It's really a test of discipline. And so let that test of discipline show you where your flat sides are and just, rise to the occasion. Mm-hmm. You know, they say, um, there's another thing that people say, like when you hit rock bottom, it's only up from here. No, it's not. It's a choice. <laughs> yeah. It's a choice. You can continue. You can, the, you might not be at the floor. Like right. there's a floor underneath that floor, mm. but you also have the opportunity to rise to the next one. Right. Right. Like you said, it's a choice. Well, I don't have nothing else to say. You dropped the mic multiple times on this episode. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much again, Angela, Pleasure. for Pleasure. your time, your generosity, for empowering, leave it at that, <laughs> people of color um, and everything that you do in your voice and helping us to find our voice, you know. You know, all the things that you do with purpose, Absolutely. you know, and, and leading us in this way, I think it's just so important for us to know that it is possible to do so that we can continue on with our why mm. so thank you for showing us that but before we let you go we always ask all our guests this last two fun questions and you know we have to end it with asking you these fun questions so the first question is uh what is your go-to favorite food favorite food man i'm gonna try not to say sugar because i'm trying to get out of that um <laughs> but i'll say i'll say it's my Mac and cheese. Your mac and cheese. Ooh, <laughs> my mac and cheese. What type of cheese do you use? I use seven different kinds of cheeses. Oh, so. that's why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I bake it three times. So Ooh, I bake one layer and then cheese, add another bake. layer and then bake it again and then add another layer, bake it again. Oh my oh, gosh. That, that sounds, sounds great. It's good. <laughs> and the cheeses aren't always the same. It kind of depends like on like what I can find. 
but mm-hmm. I always have, there's either a smoked cheddar or a smoked Gouda. Like there's, it has to have a smoked something. Yeah. 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 That's it. There you go. <laughs> and then um, the last question, which I think we kind of already discussed a little bit, but can you, um, you know, mention what the pandemic has taught you about yourself? Um, what has it taught me about myself? I, I, I learned that I was doing a lot of busy work. Mm-hmm. I was doing a lot of busy work and I didn't have to exhaust myself to be worthy. <gasps> Say That's that again. I, <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't have to exhaust myself to be worthy. So I learned that, um, you know, time is precious. Yeah. And how we tend to ourselves is important. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, um, I don't have to prove my value or prove my worth by being busy and showing you how much I can accomplish. Like, I think it's a toxic, like lawyer trait. Like you learned that in law school. Like, I was up yeah. all night. Like it's a bragging part. I was up all night. I was doing my all night. That was one minute of sleep. <laughs> I didn't sleep at all. I yeah. didn't have to be on coffee all day. Like, what? Yeah. That's not anything to brag about. Like, I don't want you to have a heart attack, actually. Like, please go to bed. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, once again, thank you again. And um, to legit, this is our last episode before we disappear into bar studying. We'll see y'all later. Talk to you soon. Thank you, Angela. Thank, thank you, Angela. You. Bye. Bye. Okay.